Hey friends and welcome to the Talk Podcast. We believe that all change starts with a conversation. A talk that sparks an idea, convicts, or creates a movement. The talk seeks to foster real, relatable, and relevant conversations that not only challenge, but engage, equip, and empower its listeners to be agents of change. As an extension of joy of it, we look to find points of intersection in a divided world. No topic is off limits and all people and opinions are welcome. We believe we represent Jesus best together, acknowledging all voices and talking through those things that disrupt our unity. When we are united, we can do great things and it all starts with a talk. Welcome to the table, friends. Hi friends, Ashley Bell here and welcome back to another episode of The Talk Podcast. Um, I'm so excited about today's podcast. Uh, We are getting to chat with author and speaker and nonprofit founder Jelana Goble um, just about her new book that's coming out, A Love Stretch Life, and not just about her new book, but about her and all the other things, anything that we really want to talk about because you know you guys here who have been listening with us and maybe some of you are just tuning in for the first time we are all about having good conversations we believe that conversations um, equip and engage and empower people to be agents of change and so we welcome all voices and opinions to the table and we know that great things come from good conversation and so today we are talking about the rhythm of love. We're continuing on in our rhythms of transformation. And today's topic is love. So welcome, Jelana. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. Um, How are you doing today? We just talked about that briefly, but you know what? I am happy to be here with you. Yes. And we are happy to have you. So a little bit about Jelana. I'm going to read your bio here. Um, Jelana Goble is a speaker, author, and advocate. Together with her husband, Luke, she parents five children ranging in age from preteen to young adult. Jelana is the founder of an unprecedented initiative that has turned into a statewide movement called Every Child Oregon. In 2019, she published No Sugar Coating, a book with practical suggestions and insight for prospective foster parents. She's passionate about getting the faith community as well as the community at large to link arms with the state's overburdened child welfare system to uplift vulnerable children in foster care and those who serve them. Gosh. Kind of a mouthful. Yeah, it is. And it's an amazing mouthful. And as I was reading that, I just thought like today, May, not today, but the whole month is Foster Care Awareness Month. It is. Um, Which is amazing that we have you here during that that time. And so I wanted to do a fun little icebreaker question with you. Sometimes I play two truths and a lie with people, but I decided not to do that today. Okay. Um, And just to maybe ask you, what is your favorite book um and movie as a child what were your favorite book and movie as a child and why you know it's so funny Ashley like now I am totally drawn to nonfiction. I actually Ooh. have to like I actually have to like force myself to pick up a story that's not true because I'm just so drawn to like true stories yeah. but 
When I was a child, I was very much into fiction and I loved the Babysitter's Club. Did you read those? <laughs> yes. I didn't read all the. But you know did how you they think I was going to go do? with the classic? I did. Like I thought, classic is she literature. Say, like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Or she, what is <laughs> Something she with like some say? spiritual significance. And so when you said the Babysitter's Club, it kind of delighted my heart a little yeah, bit yeah. because it gave me a memory of like, oh, oh the God. book. The book fairs at school. One hundred percent. I loved those. Oh, oh my gosh, they were fun. My friend, my my best childhood friend, Michelle and I would just like read all of those Babysitter Club books. <laughs> I totally wanted to be Claudia, you know, like, and we would put up posters in the neighborhood for like free babysitting oh. services. I mean, we were inspired. Okay. We, we took it far. Okay, so from a young age, you were caring. You were caring for kids. I, I mean, I was the oldest in my family. I was, but to be honest, it wasn't like. You know, I, I liked kids, but I wasn't like, oh, destined yeah. to be with kids forever. No. However, Babysitter's Club is the first thing that came to mind. What? That is amazing. What about a movie? Okay. Movie, Pollyanna. Have you seen it? Yes. What, yes, did, what do you yes. think of Pollyanna? I I love the movie Pollyanna. I've seen the one and I can't remember her name. The mm. Modern Girl? I have not watched. I'm talking yeah. old no, version. No, that's like the one original. I'm talking oh, about. Haley Mills. Haley Mills. I was going to say that, but I was like, oh, am I going to get it wrong? Um, I remember her because... Uh, I'm getting off track, but she played a teacher on Saved by the Bell. I used to love Saved by the Bell, but I, I couldn't remember her name. But there's also a version of Pollyanna called Polly that stars Keisha Knight Pulliam as a young black Polly that came out in the 80s, early 90s. It was like made for television movie. Really? And yeah. you, so you've seen both versions? I've seen is both it pretty, versions. Is it pretty like... On track with the story. Is it a movie or is it a series? It's a movie. Okay. Made for a TV movie. The the black version kind of talked a little bit about racism and bridge building, but it stays on track with, with the story. I would yeah, very yeah. much like to yeah. see that. Yeah. And I haven't found it since I was little. I haven't seen it since. I'm sure it's on like eBay or Amazon or something. Yeah. yeah look for it. Yeah. So it's really good. So Polly was your favorite movie. It yeah. was. I just felt like... You know, she just so positive about yeah. things. I yeah. was just so drawn yeah. to that. I just love yeah. the storyline and Ray of Sunshine. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So can you share with us a time when, you know, speaking of, of all those things involved, not just your moving your book involved kids doing pretty profound things, mm -hmm. um, loving well, experiencing love um, in different ways. But can you share it with us um, a time where as a child that you experienced feeling love or appreciated? Well, the first thing that honestly that comes to mind of just feeling loved and like safe and secure, it's not like one specific mm -hmm. memory, Ashley, but my parents had a boat when we were growing up. It wasn't like fancy or anything, mm -hmm. but it was just an invitation for our family to be together, like out on mm -hmm. Lake Sonoma in Northern California, where I grew up. And I just have like the best memories and remember feeling like just, just loved and like loving the feeling of being with my family. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what stands out. There's no specific memory, but I think right now what strikes me is that we live in such a distracted world that it's pretty radical when somebody's like, we're going out, 
in, in the middle of the lake and there's no phones allowed. Now, yeah. of course, back in like the eighties when we were doing this, like there were no <laughs> phones there. About that. Yeah. It had to be like a brick, you know, with an antenna 10 feet long <laughs> yes. coming out. Of it. Yeah. So, so that wasn't even an issue, but I think as a mom and as somebody who's striving to, you know, live as intentionally as I can yeah. and as undistractedly as I can, I feel like that memory comes to mind as like, kind of, you know, has the family peace and has nature and has the togetherness without being distracted. Like, yeah. Kind of what comes to mind? What comes to mind for you? Yeah. Oh man. I, I do remember, it's funny because I do remember times of just togetherness. I, I value that as well of just feeling where, and it's, it's interesting because I don't necessarily have to be leading the togetherness or being the center of that, I'm perfectly fine just being in a full room with laughter and people being together. And some of my favorite things as a kid was our house was like a house where everybody was welcome and people were in and out. There was always cousins or aunties or somebody in there in moments where I was like, I wish they would just leave actually um, and go be somewhere else. But my, my home was this place where it was, there was room for people to be in there and just be together doing whatever. So I, I value and feel appreciated when like an experience love when people are together. In I love a that. Room. Yeah. That connectedness is just like so important. And I can totally yeah. see as a child, how it would be kind of like a little bit annoying. And then as, <laughs> yes. as an adult, you're like, look back and you're like, it was yeah. a full house and it was so totally. lovely. Totally. In in your book, I could t- I I love that you answered that the way that you did because in your book you can see that there's one part where you um you know you're talking about kind of your families in the kitchen and the kitchen symbolizes togetherness and there's people doing different things and everybody has their own introduction. Uh, the way that you have welcomed people into your family through this book is so beautiful. I love Stretch Life, which is coming out. When does it come out, Joanna? June 7th. Yeah, June 7th. So two weeks from now. Um, the way that you've welcomed people into the story of your life is very beautiful. And so I, one of the questions is, it's, it's no easy task to write a book. It's actually a big thing. I cannot even fathom it, really. It's, it's like- You all, have a book in you, Ashley. The, Everybody I'm does. Sure. It's just a matter of- I know. People say that. And, and in my mind, I like to think that I do, but the thought of sitting down and writing all these details and even all the stuff that it brings up, yes. I think that's the thing, the things that it brings up in us and more things that have to be processed and- Totally. And I think people sometimes have this notion, right? Of like, I'm going to write a book. And they kind of picture someone like cracking their knuckles and like (laughs) sitting down with like a view of the ocean and then just like pounding out these like profound sentences, you know, just gorgeous. And, and the reality is it's like late at night, couched in your like home (laughs) office being like, that doesn't make any sense. And da, 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 or, or writing pages and being like, I thought this was like, really good at the time. And now I'm looking back and I might just keep one sentence out of this page. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, yeah. kind of all perspective. Yeah. And so it, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a process for yeah. sure. And I have learned a lot from it. Oh my gosh. What made you want to tell your story, share your story? Well, in my role with every child, I'm engaging with a lot of foster parents, mm-hmm. a lot of adoptive parents. And so I felt like I was getting a chance to just tell like just a snippet mm. of my story. And it felt like over time, it was turning into a little bit of a 
cliched soundbite of like, well, that was hard, but like Mm. we made it through. God pulled us through or Mm. like, and it just felt kind of empty. Like, okay, without sharing the details, Mm. it's hard to celebrate like all that God has done Mm. through the story. And like, well, it was hard, but it all worked out is a pretty unsatisfying thing. And plus what does all worked out mean already? I mean, it's Mm. an ever unfolding story. And I think those that read A Love Stretch Life realize like this is certainly not a story of like overcoming. This is not a story of like, five points to live your best life. Like, you know, yeah. if you're, yeah. if you're looking yeah. for that, like that's not in a love stretch life it's because it. it's yeah. really, it's really messy. But I felt like, I felt like it was, it was in me to, to share, not only to, to remember, remember the details, remember what we've gone through, but I also really feel like my biggest hope and prayer for this book is that it makes other people feel more seen and less alone. And, you know, I think foster parents, adoptive parents, there's like a natural, like, you know, audience with, mm-hmm. with that. But I, I would hope that it would be for even people where parenting isn't a part of their story. I yeah. think it's, I would hope that a love stretch life would resonate with people. Anyone who's experienced kind of a gap between like, this is what I thought it might look like. And yeah. this is what it actually looks like. And I think that that's pretty, I mean, we all have our different things of what that is, but I think that that's pretty universal in some ways. Um, And I think as I write about in A Love Stretch Life, I mean, I really thought I was kind of easy breezy about a lot of things about life. Like, oh, I don't know. You know, I've just never thought about it. You know, with just talking about what my, you know, what I dreamt such and such would look like. And you don't realize you have those hopes until it's not that. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Actually I did have some preconceived notions about what this time of life or what this would look like because now I'm here and this is not that. Yeah. I thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I am, I'm single. Um, I'm not even anywhere close to being married at this point in my life unless God drops that man out of the sky or one of you listening happens to hook me up with a really awesome guy. I'm open to that, but please don't make it anybody weird, you know? I mean, I mean, whatever. That's 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 off topic. But I think in in Christian circles particularly, and even outside Christian circles, we tend to fantasize or have these unrealistic expectations of what family, of what marriage, of what all the things tend to look like. And I absolutely love when people decide, no, I'm going to keep it real with folks. And I'm going to let them know that life is beautiful, but it's messy and it can be hard and it can be messy and hard a lot. And here are the things that get you through the messy and the hard, but it's going to be messy and hard at times. It's going to be messy and hard at times. And that hard does not necessarily mean it's not worthy of engaging. Yes, that's right? so good. Like they're not mutually yeah. exclusive. Like it's hard, so peace yeah. out. It's not worth it, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and I think especially in a Christian context, Ashley, we have the tendency to want to share when we're on the mm-hmm. other side of something. Mm-hmm. When we're mm-hmm. on a little bit of a neater, mm-hmm. tidier side of something where we can like more palatably mm-hmm. wrap a bow called God's faithfulness mm-hmm. around it. Like, hey, I didn't tell you in the midst of it, but now I'm on this side and mm-hmm. let me tell you how I was brought through. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for some of us, we are in situations where 
Yes, God is with us. Mm-hmm. And there is no overcoming to the other side. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's going to look different. And mm-hmm. so um, I think, like you said, just sharing from the messy middle, it's actually just real. Yeah. And it's authentic. And I think, yeah. you know, that vulnerability begets vulnerability. And then that's what we can, you know, kind of link arms and be in community and stand in yeah. solidarity with like, Hey, this is hard, but I see you and I support you. And yeah. um, instead of kind of like, well, it was hard for you. I didn't know what you were going through at the yeah. time, but it sure sounded hard. Yeah. Um, and now, now it's fine. You know? Yeah. I, so I think that, mm. you know, I think there's probably a lot of reasons we do that. One, obviously we have to protect our own emotional capacity when we're going through something, we can't just be real with everyone. Like we have to have our, 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 our circle. It's just wise to do that. But I think, I think that's one of the dangers in Christian culture is to, to try to wrap up the bow Mm -hmm. too soon or for other people's. That's so good. And loving and, and Jesus loving us in, in the messy in between and the hard, as well as people loving us in the messy in between and hard is oftentimes a greater ministry. I shouldn't say is oftentimes, I, I should say it is the greater ministry than someone loving you when you're all nice and neat and tidy. It's a very sure. easy love, yeah. you know? I totally agree. I feel like we are, well, in my life, I should say, I have been completely transformed being in proximity mm. to people whose backgrounds are different from mine, mm. whose life stories are vastly different from mine. Yeah. And that has been the primary tool that I feel like I've kind of, mm. I've, I've been transformed. Like if I had not met, for example, my 13 year old's birth mom, Jennifer, mm. you know, I, I think she's just given me so much in terms of like understanding that I would have never had of the world and a lens through like of her struggles. I'm not saying I understand Mm -hmm. it perfectly, but just like a lens of something that I would have totally been out of touch with Mm -hmm. before, you know, through her sharing of life with me, I have a better understanding of her growing up in foster care and what it's Mm -hmm. like to have kids in the system and to struggle with addiction and all the things. And it's, it's, I think it's so interesting because people often we, Jennifer and I co-present a lot in prospective foster parent training classes mm-hmm. and to state caseworkers. And oftentimes people will say something like, wow, Jelena, look what you've done for her. Mm-hmm. I just want to flip that on its yeah, head yeah. and be like, no, no, yeah. no, no. Like yeah. this is mutual, like yeah. the arrow of mutuality. Like we have a kinship here. Like look yeah. what she's done for me. Like I am not yeah. the same person. And God has used her in my life to just expose me to the very people that I I really believe are closest to his heart, yes. you know, though the down yeah. and out and the marginalized and, and it's, it's a privilege. It's a messy privilege yes. is what that is. Oh, that's good. A messy privilege. And I hope you wrote that in your book somewhere. The words messy privilege. I don't think I did. I oh should go back gosh. to the publisher go and be like, Hey, and we, Hey, I need this inserted. Those cannot come out right now. We need to put <laughs> messy privilege in, in there. Um, I, the, the title of, of your book, a love stretched, life and just what you were saying i'm i'm wondering how did that come about the actual title yeah oh you know so it's so funny it seems like how hard can it be you hear you see you know books and titles all the time and you do not realize 
that for like three words, it can be like months in the making. And <laughs> yeah. so it started with these obnoxious, like life-size post-it notes uh-huh. plastered all over my dining room and just me writing, right? Like all the, you know, adjectives, nouns, da, da, da. It was like a deduction process essentially. Yeah. And when the publisher and I agreed on that title, it was like, yep, this is the That's one. Nice. I just, I just loved it. Yeah. Um, because I do, and I and I like the image on the cover yeah. of being of being stretched. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, that it it reminds me of you know the, that stretching part. I I love when the chapters. I'm trying not to give too much away too because I want people to read it. And if we just tell them everything about it, then they won't buy it and read it. And yeah. I want you guys to go buy and read this book. It is wonderful. But there's a chapter um, titled Friendship in there, which I'm thrilled that you wrote that chapter <laughs> called Friendship because we don't spend a lot of time talking about friendships, mm. really. You know, we talk a lot about other relationships, but not necessarily friendships. And and you kind of you touched on the power of friendship even just a little bit when you were talking about Jennifer of that stretching, even the image on your cover, that friendships are meant to be something, of course you have fun and um, you're together, but you also stretch one another. Can you talk to us a little bit about how friendship has shaped you and why it's been so important to you in this stage of your life as as you fostered? Mm. With the fostering emphasis specifically, I would say, I mean, one, friendships are like vitally important, but I think as foster parents, it's mm-hmm. actually really easy to kind of huddle up with only people who are mm-hmm. other foster parents. And there is a beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And I would say, instead of kind of going all in, we need a both and approach here because yeah. there is a beauty, whether it's fostering or anything else to be like, hey, it is so great to be able to just share without having to explain, mm-hmm. right? And in the fostering mm-hmm. group, it's like, hey, their their court might be different. Caseworkers might be different. Mm-hmm. Children might have different behaviors or needs or whatever, but there is a common denominator yeah. amongst them that it's like, hey, we don't need to back up and be like, this is what this is, you know? Yeah. There, there's just an understanding there. Similarly, though, I think foster parents, are not always the most well-equipped to help like meet the tangible needs that sometimes Mm. pop up. It's like, we want to, but we're not the ones that can like run out and like drop off a meal or leave the coffee on the doorstep or whatever. And so I just feel like it's, it's not fair, honestly, for foster parents to kind of count other people out as quote, not getting it. Yeah. If they're not given the chance to be included in the circle. Right. And so again, it comes back to our emotional capacity and how much margin we have. We have to be wise about who we're including. But I think it's really important when we think about friendships, especially when it comes to fostering, Mm. that we are friends with those who are fostering and continue to have Mm. deep relationships with those who are not. Mm. Because oftentimes it gives others a chance and not everybody wants like an inside glimpse of foster care, but a lot of people are really curious, right? It gives them a chance to like come alongside and be a part of a story that's greater than themselves. And I think at the end of the day, you know, that's so, that's what so many people are searching for. I just want to be part of something that's meaningful, that has an impact. And I think it's also letting go of the notion of like that self-sufficiency of like this child's in my home and I'm going to be there everything and we're going to do it all and we're going to do it alone and we're going to look fabulous while we do it. (laughs) And we're going to like, you know what I mean? It's going to be Instagram worthy and it's just going to be perfect. So I just, you know, so I think, 
think it's important to have just a variety of friends and, yeah. and not just friends. I mean, it's great to have friends that, that you've known for a long time. And I also think as I get older too, um, it's been good for me. I've, I've mm-hmm. been surprised along the way with some mm-hmm. of the people that I've been able to develop a close friendship with. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What would yeah. you say about friendship? I, I mean, I, I would not have survived. <laughs> I think so many challenges in in my life without yeah. friends um most most of my family um they're across the country they live in virginia and so i've been in oregon in the portland area now for 10 plus years um and so i think about friendships and i think about community and i'm like i would not have thrived yeah. without friendships or community especially within the last two years oh, of those I was about to say that who are those people that are like helping you navigate life or when I was sitting in my apartment crying and being really depressed because yeah. where am I gonna go what am I gonna do I'm just here alone you know and so I man I highly value healthy friendships and there are those friendships that like you say in your your book that just sharpen you that can kind of call you out on your BS or when you're thinking about things wrongly, you know, it's like, I need that because I'm self-righteous. I think I'm right about everything. So unless there's a friend that is like, Ashley, let's rethink that. Or like, how can we, how can we change that around? How can we reframe that statement that you just said? And so, yeah, friendships to me are invaluable. Well, I think it's so interesting, like the teeter-totter of friendships, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare when two friends have some sort of acute need at the same time. Yeah. Right? So there's kind of this balancing act of like, hey, and I think that I think, you know, how do we experience God? Well, there's there's a lot of different ways, but oftentimes it's through people that we through real people that we experience that feeling of connection and belonging. Yeah. And acceptance, right? That can yeah. all mirror the divine, yeah. but that is how we, you know, experience. Um, so it's it's so it's so important. I just yeah. feel like I would wither without my friends. I feel like I have friends that are I have friends that cross over into many different kinds, but I just yeah. have friends that are like these are my like super silly laugh it up friends, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then I have friends, yeah. that, you know. It's just, it's just variety. It's a spice of life. Yeah. But I just love how, um, especially as, you know, I write about in a love stretch life, um, the invisible, but yeah, Mm -hmm. profound, um, brain-based disability of Mm -hmm. my youngest child that we were completely unaware of at the time, um, that we had the privilege of welcoming Mm -hmm. him into our family. I have met so many people through this journey of being a special needs mom that I would have Mm -hmm. never met before. And I think it's so interesting to just see how people are able to kind of reach in and uplift and like, it's it's almost like in various circumstances, somebody's like navigating a labyrinth in the mm-hmm. dark and then somebody else is coming mm-hmm. up behind them and they're like, don't trip. You're going to crash into that wall. Here's my mm-hmm. lantern. I can't see very far ahead of myself, mm-hmm. but I can hold up my lantern so that you don't trip over the part because I've just gone over that, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's advocacy or schooling or diagnosis mm-hmm. or medical stuff. And you can, you know, you can take that same thing and, and say any circumstance. But I feel like that's, mm. that's something that uh, has just come into technicolor for me since kind of navigating being a special needs parent, yeah. especially um, what it, what friendship has, has meant in terms of mm. kind of 
taken in the, you know, taken in the new mom that's just gotten this diagnosis. And mm-hmm. like, I felt the same way. You're going to rumble with grief and joy and it's all okay. There's a mm-hmm. place for all of it. And when you're ready and you need some tangible action steps, yeah. um, let me, let me share with you what I found helpful, just as someone shared with me what they found helpful. And it's almost like passing it forward. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good. As you were talking about about your son, I, I was just thinking, you know, uh, about about the church and and all of this. You know, the church does things really well, and sometimes the church, just because you know we're ordinary people that make up mm-hmm. this thing, a bunch of sinners, and we do things poorly at, at times, and sometimes we do a very poor job of welcoming families in who foster but also welcoming families in who have kids that have special needs. And as you were speaking, I I was just thinking about, wow, there's so much to learn and gain from having friendships with families who foster and also families and kids who have special needs. And so I think the the question that popped into my brain and we haven't previously discussed this, this was not, this always happens, Jelana. Go for it, I Ashley. I did not put this question <laughs> on the list of things that no, I sent you. Fine. But I'm just thinking through this of like, what would you say, and I don't think I've ever thought about this before. I feel like my answer has changed just as I've been talking to you. Does everybody have the ability to be a friend? a friend. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about where you're yeah. going with that. Like, I I want to say yes, but here's yes. where my yes. mind is going. Yes. My mind is like, we can benefit, like we can yeah. benefit from being changed in proximity to people, yeah. you know, different from us. Yeah. Now, other, sometimes capacity, sometimes even neurotypical people, yeah. capacities can yeah. be down yeah. because of life and yeah. because of what they're going through. And then there are others, um, you know, perhaps in the pews of our church or kids in our Sunday school that honestly might have in utero substance exposure mm-hmm. issues that are going to impact the mm-hmm. way that they're able to have relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it might not look like friendship from the typical view of like yes. give and yeah. take. This yeah. is reciprocal. Yeah. We're going to share, you know, like yeah. all those things, but yes, there's a beauty. There's yeah. a, there's a beauty there yeah. in proximity. I think so oftentimes with churches you know, churches need to be prepared that if they say, we want to shine a spotlight yeah. and serve kids in foster care or yeah. serve foster families, there's almost a, if you build it, they will come type mentality, yep. right? Yeah. And oftentimes I see churches that are talking about foster care um, and have have good intentions to want to serve kids and families well. Everyone's well-intentioned, I would say. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But but we have to recognize that the demographics of our Sunday school are going to change yeah. and that we can no longer emphasize the same things that were emphasized yeah. before. And, you know, we hope that Sunday school is a place where kids are learning about like love and compassion and, you know, how to be a good neighbor and all of these things. And that is true. And also Sunday school often has like a very high, this is how you need to behave Mm -hmm. component. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes you have kids through trauma. And I'm not about to say that every child that's experienced trauma has it manifest in high behavioral needs. That's kind of a myth of foster care. And I don't want to play into that myth. 
However, yeah, yeah, you know, we have to we have to be mindful to create space yeah. for kids who don't fit the mold of like now it's time to transition to the Bible story where we need you to sit quiet, you know, crisscross applesauce and keep your hands folded in your lap. Yes. So I think we have to be really mindful, Ashley, to not equate behavior. What am I saying? We have to be we have to be really mindful to to recognize that if a child cannot sit still mm-hmm. and the Sunday school teacher is like, you need to get out of here. You need to go out into the hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're being a distraction. We have to be so careful that this mm-hmm. is a place where they're learning about God. And it's like so easy to be like, well, is that how God feels about me? Like if yeah. I can't sit still, then I'm sent out. Yeah. You know, so I think yeah. we have to think through, and this yeah. is like an oversimplification, but I feel like it's just one thing that comes to mind with like, we have to be ready. You know, we can't, and that's part of the invitation of being close to kids who have experienced trauma is that, you know, the way my parents or your parents did something is not the way probably that a child that has experienced a lot of trauma is going to need you to engage them. And so for a lot of parents, they might feel like, well, gosh, this worked really great with all of my biological children and like, why change it up now? But, um, you know, but with, but trauma is a game changer. It really is. And I think especially in the church, there is a little bit of formulaic thinking sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, Hey, sure. This child's come from trauma, but with the right amount, the perfect concoction mm-hmm. of love, nurture, discipline, structure, plus Jesus equals clean slate. Now we're good. Now we're good. And it's like, well, we all want that to be the story. That's a great story. That's that's a great story. And yet for many kids in foster care, for many families, foster and adoptive families, this is not the storyline that they're living out. And so I think the church needs to have a wide range of acceptance mm-hmm. that, you know, um, we celebrate when, when there's something to celebrate, yeah. when things are going well. And we... We grieve with those who are grieving. And I think that's not just applied to foster and adoptive families. That's for everyone, right? But to recognize oftentimes, you know, kids don't end up in foster care without reason, right? So there's a reason. And so we, it's a little naive to just think now that they've walked through the door of a mm-hmm. of a um, healthy, safe home that suddenly all yeah. the reasons that brought them into care are going to be dropped at the doorstep, you know? So it's just, it's just complicated. And so I think we just have to, yeah, we just have to realize that it's not like a one and done. This is an invitation for the church to be able to walk with families for the long haul, because there's going to be five steps forward and 10 steps back for many families. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really good. You, you helped me rethink and and reframe the question in my mind, but you hit, you hit on it a lot because I, I think what I was trying to get at is, and this is something that I do. Um, I have a blanket expectation for who I'm going to call friend, <laughs> a yeah. blanket expectation that everybody must jump up and meet, not realizing that there are people that I can call friend um, 
that don't necessarily meet that blanket expectation that I've, that I've set. Like they can model friendship to me in various ways that are still loving and kind. And I think sometimes the church has this blanket expectation for families that foster or for kids, like a blanket expectation of behavior or performance or whatever that is that um, we have to get rid of in order to model friendship and love and care better. And I think, you know, it goes back to what I was sharing earlier, which is, I think, you know, we are changed in proximity to Mm -hmm. others. And there's still, even if somebody is not kind of rising to kind of the the standard, yeah, so yeah. to speak, for lack yeah. of a better word, that there's that yeah. there can still be an exchange of humanity that can that's be transformative right. for yeah. you both. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and to being open to that that transformation, that that proximity. How has being in proximity, and you you've answered this um, in some ways, just not explicitly maybe how has fostering and being in proximity to foster families and your children informed the way that you love you know i think prior i think prior to foster care um, and i write about this in a love stretch life mm-hmm. i think i i think it's real easy when we are a comfortable distance away to be able to look at something and think we know what we're looking at yeah. right yeah and I think, I think it's it's given me the invitation to just be so humble yeah. that I don't know as much as I think I know, you know. And I think I I would have been tempted. Well, I know I was at the very beginning of my fostering experience, uh, especially with biological family, to have a little bit of a like, if you could just get it together, mm-hmm. you know, and without recognizing that you know people who's burdens are more than they can bear. You can't just snap your fingers and just get it together. Just like I can't about what, how I right. was yesterday. Right. right? You know? Yeah. So I think that oftentimes the primary reason kids come into foster care is because of untreated mental illness, domestic violence, incarceration, substance abuse. I mean, that's not anything that you just say, snap your fingers and say, just get over Fine. it, be healthy yeah. now and, and be a good mom. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think just the, the slowness um, mm. you know, trusting in that God is at work, even mm. in the midst of the slowness. I think we all love to see transformation. We all want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, God doesn't call us to success. Yeah. That's not, that's not our yeah. calling. It's a good word. It, yeah. You know, we're called to, to love. Yeah. We're called to love. Like that is our divine calling. And, I think letting go of the results of what we're pouring in because we all kind of want that teeter totter of like input output. I'm yeah. pouring into you. Yeah. So I want to be able to see that this is making some that's difference. Right. And you know, there's a part of that that's just natural. But when you as a parent or as a friend or as a sibling are pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, we have to recognize that sometimes it's going to be lopsided. And that's okay. And I'm not talking, I'm talking, when I say that I specifically am talking about like my neurodivergent son, right? You know, where I'm like pouring in, pouring in, like this child has experienced love and nurture and everything from 48 hours old on. If somebody saw the way he behaves, I think, let me rephrase this. If I had seen the way, Ashley, Mm. that my son, Charlie, behaves sometimes in a very public meltdown, I would have 
And I would never have said it out loud because I know enough to not say this out loud. But my internal monologue likely would have been something along the lines of, imagine how that child is talked to at home to be like talking like Mm. that. Imagine how that child is treating to be like flailing on the floor and throwing punches, Mm -hmm. you know? And that child is now my child who struggles greatly. And I'm very well aware of what has been poured into him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a game changer. There's no formula. There's no, and, and when I say that, I'm not at all communicating like this is hopeless. It's not worth it. Like oh, that sure. is not what yeah. I'm saying, but I'm just saying, I think we are, our tendency is to want to see input and output, you know, that is, yeah, that's that, that you can account for. And oftentimes yeah. in this journey, whether it's friendship, whether it's, Sibling, you know, being a good sibling, whether it's, you know, we are invited to pour in and, you know, with good boundaries and all of those things mm-hmm. that we all have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're, we're just invited to embrace the mystery of mm-hmm. like what that, what that means um, mm-hmm. in terms of maybe never seeing the quote success of yeah. it all. Yeah. That's a hard place to stand. It is a, it is a hard place to, to stand. And, but I, I do think as, as you were talking, like I'm thinking just as believers, there's many people in, in the Bible, you know, who stood in the hard place and never got to see the quote unquote success or fruit of that work. True. And I think for us, we often, you know, we, we want to see the success and the fruit of that work right now in the here and now. And sometimes that just doesn't happen, but it doesn't mean that what we're doing and what we've been asked to be a part of isn't worth it. Totally. And I, I feel like I've never seen that come to life more than in welcoming our very Mm. first foster son, Royal. I write Mm -hmm. about him early Mm -hmm. on in a love stretch Mm -hmm. life. You know, we, we welcomed him in for a year and then through a series of circumstances, lost touch with him for 13 years. But, you know, we talk about seeds planted, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it was really wild to recognize this now almost 25 year old young man that I parented for one year when he was in first grade and toothless and, um, (laughs) you know, two front teeth, not completely toothless, adorable. He was able to share in his own words. Like I remember, uh, the Spider-Man poster in my room. Mm. Mom, do you remember sitting around having chip and dip and watching football? Do you remember grilled cheese? And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't remember if I had a grilled yeah. cheese two days ago. Yeah. But here it is, you know, 19 years <laughs> later and you're talking about the grilled cheese yeah. we ate as a family. And so when you talk about like pouring in and not being able to yeah. see, it's like, oh, sometimes it's, sometimes we have a tendency to think about like looking back and the things that people remember are like really big things. And mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. But often I think I wouldn't have believed the cliche of like pouring in and seeds planted and stuff <laughs> as much as being able to hear it from this young man yeah. himself about like, no, no, no. I do remember that gave me something to hang on to throughout my childhood. And, yeah. and um, you know, those are, it's been impactful for me to see, yeah. for me to see like, gosh, we thought we were just kind of putting one foot in front of the other for a year, but for, but for him, those were those were some memories to hang on to, and yeah. so I think it's it's comforting, right, to know it's not just the big things; it's all it's also the yeah. little things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. You have a whole you have a whole chapter that that talks about hope, and as as we're chatting, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who this was a good kind of lean into that who don't really see the hope in it all now. 
um, especially now in, in our world, like over the last two years, it's just been exhausting. One thing over another. People are exhausted. Parents are exhausted. Single parents, you know, I, th- I think about single parents a lot. I'm like, oh my gosh, these single mamas or these single dads out here exhausted. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of a lot of things that have diminished hope. Can you speak to a little bit of how, and maybe this is um, definitely doesn't apply to everybody listening for sure, because I think the way people see hope maybe can't be generalized in, in a lot of ways, but how, one, how have you seen hope in the midst of all of this through your family over the last two years? And how can other people start to see hope you know we t- we talked about just that a little bit as you spoke of royal of like okay i can't see it now but at some point down the line there may be something little maybe not anything big but there may be something little that is coming um that is going to encourage so yeah if you could speak to that a little bit oh my gosh i feel like you just lobbed me like the million dollar no, question and I'm, exp- <laughs> I'm expecting you to, to answer it well and everyone's going to listen and be like Oh my gosh, no pressure. No, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. You, you know, something that I write about in the book is, um, you know, that sometimes like we want to really see like hope, like this big boulder, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, I was walking down the road and then, whoa, boom, mm-hmm. there's hope. And oftentimes it doesn't manifest <laughs> like that. Oftentimes it's like this teeny little pebble that you're like yeah. searching for on this like gravelly path. Like, okay, I guess this is it. I'll pick it up and yeah. put it in my pocket. I love the idea of like being able to borrow hope from people, you know, Mm. to just say like, it's almost like a baton or something. And that's not, Mm -hmm. that's not to say this is like Disneyland version of life, you know, but it's like, Hey, sometimes when I feel like I don't have any hope or I'm feeling particularly down or depressed or overwhelmed Mm. or fearful or exhausted or all the ways that people are feeling right now. And I know I certainly have felt those things in the last two years. It's a swirl. Yeah. You know, it's, it's helpful to be able to say, you know, it, this isn't something that I need to like either conjure up myself or only have, you know, spoken to my heart through reading scripture. This is actually Mm. something that that, those can be, but this actually can be something where if you are telling me some little story, there might be a little pebble Mm -hmm. in that story for me to reach down and pick up or, you know, like the baton that's passed to somebody, you know, running the race. So I I think that that's important to, to say, you know, that we, we can benefit from the hope that we see other people, you know, Mm -hmm. around us. Again, we have to have that very realistic lens that it's, you know, not always going to work out the way we want it to work out. I think a lot of hope comes down to our lens this isn't Pollyanna. This isn't going back to my yeah, favorite yeah, childhood yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, let's, not everything's Pollyanna. Let, let's play the glad game. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like just see the the prisms on the, yep. the you know yeah. the wall. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, I feel like in the midst of the hard with Charlie, mm. there is an inverted gift, and that part of that inverted gift, because this parenting journey has been way harder than I ever anticipated. Um, and I didn't know how hard it would be. And I honestly received that as an act of grace that I didn't yeah. know because I probably would have said, oh my gosh, no, thank you. some people are equipped, but yeah. I'm not one of those, you know? But I feel like part of the gift of Charlie is celebrating things mm. that I would have previously mistook 
as low level expectations, you know? And I think while I'm talking about my special needs son Mm. and hope, like I see hope by being able to recognize things that he does, for example, that one, he, he might not have been doing, I mean, he's about developmentally like half his chronological age, mm-hmm. right? So I'm, I celebrate things with him that I would have never even celebrated with my kids when they were that yeah. age, right? But it just like gives you a different lens to yeah. see it. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to take that for granted. And I don't mean for this to be like, turn it into some like gratitude journal type answer to the hope yeah. question. But at the same time, I really do think that we have to have a lens for it. And I think sometimes when we're so exhausted, it's hard to like strain our eyes to see it because sometimes it isn't obvious. Yeah. And so I think in those times when it's not obvious, how do we have a posture of still wanting to be a person of hope Mm -hmm. to still wanting, but again, recognize, you know, holding the tension, holding the tension between like, Hey, it might not be sitting in front of me. I want to, I want to be a person of hope but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm some Disney Pollyanna version yeah. of what life is right now. Yeah. I don't know, Ashley. I feel like that answer was pretty it's insufficient. Really good. But no, no. What would you say about <laughs> hope, my friend? I don't. I'm not answering that question. That's <laughs> okay. too hard. It's, it's too hard to answer. It's hard. You did a great, you you did a great job. I, I would agree with you. I, I do think something that, that God's been speaking to me over the last, really at the beginning of this year, a reminder of um, where is my hope really? And how many times I've allowed myself to despair over the little things, which for me personally, when I am despairing, and maybe this is true for most people, if you get in trap in a trap of despair, there's lots of things that we should be heartbroken over. Um, so I'm not trying to diminish that, but I think if we get into a habit of just despair, which is different than lamenting, it's different than just being sad, when we're at that point of despairing, it's hard to find hope in anything. And so I, I I had a reminder at the beginning of this year to not let the little things send me into despair, but to find things to delight in. Little, big, like whatever that looks like. Find things to delight in that give you hope, like what you said, like the pebbles of hope. You know, it doesn't have to be this big boulder. It could be something little that highlights, that says like something better is coming. Something better will take place. Whether it's tomorrow, three days from now, three years from now, something better is happening. You know, hope can be found in a baby's laughter. Hope can be found in a rainbow Hope can be found in all this rain that we've been having because maybe, just maybe, things won't catch a fire this summer. You know, hope hope can be found in so many things, but you do have to be looking for it. And it does matter your your lens, you know, your lens. So I, I appreciate your answer a lot with that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was, it, it's good. And it, it is, it's challenging in a time where there is, there is so much to despair over. There is, there really have, is. There, I mean, and I mean there, there really is. And they're not little things, right? They're not you, little I feel things. like everywhere you turn around, you're like, oh man, we're doomed. Yeah. And, and it's affecting everybody, <laughs> yeah, you know, it it's, is. Affa- it's affecting our kids. It's affecting us. It's affecting, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's every it's everywhere. So it's hard. the The challenge of hope is is very hard. But 
because we have Jesus, I mean, you know, there is there is this hope that he can change, he can restore, he can renew, you know, he can bring about change that we can't even imagine. So when you say, I think you said borrowing hope, you know, sometimes we do have to borrow hope. Yeah. And we have to have, like, hope as an invitation, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not something that we just RSVP for one time and yeah. we're like, Hope That's party, good. you know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's like yeah. it's something that we have to continually circle yeah. around to. And I think that for all the reasons you just said, Ashley, like there are so many, so many real world, legitimately frightening things yeah. that can tarnish our hope. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, how do we be people of hope while not just Pollyanna, like That's turning right. our okay. head, but being able to clear, clearly look at the situation and be able to somewhere on the continuum between the the you know the reality and what we and what yeah and what we hope it would be yeah. that we would be able to embrace the pebble on the path, really. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I think it's just important that we that we have that, and in order to have that, you know, we're created as like finite human beings, right? We can't mm-hmm. like, we can't blow past our very real physical limits and then expect that we're going to be people that, mm-hmm. can, that have the the margin of awareness to, to RSVP for help, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think that that's just part of slowing down a little bit. It's an invitation yeah. to slow down sometimes and to care well for ourselves and others. And yeah. that's not to say that hope can't be found, you know, in the hospital room, you know, all, all the right. things, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. like, Oh, it's real easy to feel hopeful if you're on a vacation. Right. Yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it is, but that's not always that's the case. Not, that's we can't not reality. Always do that. We have to have yeah, hope yeah. in the midst of reality. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's 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 re- that's really good. I feel like I have so many more questions for you. I'm not gonna wrap up just just yet. Don't worry, listeners. Um, I I, I do want to ask the the question, a few more questions of like, if someone is listening and they're interested in fostering, how do they go about doing that? I mean, what what's some advice you can give to folks, like? What are, what are some considerations or yeah, how do they what, literally well, go about that's doing a that? Great, that's a great question. What are some, what are some questions they should ask themselves first before trying to dive, dive in to that or step on that, that plan of action, which isn't necessarily a quick one. What is that process yeah. like? Yeah. So in no particular order of importance, I would say questions to ask yourself. It is important that you seek out people who are fostering, mm. be, be tenacious with inviting them to, to sit down and share their story. I think it's really important that you talk with people who are living it because like oftentimes, like we've said many times before, there's kind of a notion of how something goes and there's a live reality. And there's mm-hmm. oftentimes a pretty big Canyon of a gap mm-hmm. between how people think that fostering will go. And then, you know, what the boots on the ground reality actually yeah. entails. So talk to people who have lived it. I think it's important for single people to know that you can absolutely foster. Families mm-hmm. come in all shapes and sizes and about 35% of all foster parents nationwide are single. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I think it's important that if you have a partner that you, it's very natural for one person and oftentimes it's a woman to be like uh, saying, hey, 
we I like to foster and kind of dragging the other person along, you know, mm. and and there's there's and sometimes you know it can be either person, but oftentimes that's the case. But I think there comes a point where both people need to be fully on board. Yeah. You need to both be buckling your seatbelts for this roller coaster, right? Yeah. And it can't just be kind of, it's a recipe for resentment if you're not on the same page. So do your homework, talk to people who are doing it, kind of become aligned. I think a lot of times fear takes people out before they really begin to engage the question. And the number one question, Ashley, mm. is what about your bio kids? That is like the number one mm. question. And it's and I think it's appropriate yeah. to be cautious and so talk with people that, you know, reach out to organizations, ask if you can talk with some of their family. I mean, wh- whatever, whatever way you can kind of get um, access to like real people's stories to help you discern. And mm-hmm. I think not everyone is called to foster. Yep. I mean, the reality is <laughs> there's certainly a need for more people than are certainly doing it. So more people need to step up than are yeah. current than we currently have. However, it is not for everyone. And so you know, one of the narratives in the state of Oregon is that prior to every child, um, an organization that I've been privileged to kind of be with since the very beginning, the options were kind of like become a foster parent or do nothing. And it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> like this yes. is, you know, like for a yeah. lot of people, this is like flinging your life off a cliff type option, yeah. you know? So, so what are the ways that we can create sustainable opportunities mm. for people to engage with what they have a capacity and desire to give? can't shut people out just because they can't do this one thing. Like we need, mm-hmm. we need all hands on deck here. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would just encourage people as they think about fostering, if this is not for you, try to plug in in different mm-hmm. ways. There's, you know, there's so many, there's so many different ways that you can get involved from mentorship to providing tangible goods mm-hmm. to, you know, coming alongside different ministries at church. And yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Because I know I was just thinking the other day, which is so random. I often think about as as a single person, I'm like, oh, I would I would adopt or foster. And then I think about, I'm like, oh my gosh, then I would have to actually care for this another person in in my home. And and that could seem very overwhelming. But hearing you talk about it and, and finding other families who doing who are doing it. Um, actually gives me hope that that is something that can be done um, if if I feel called and am being prompted to do that, um, which I'm sure many people are being called and being prompted to do that, but yet have this fear that they yeah, and the fear is yeah, real, and I, fear I, is real. I think yeah. it's, I think it's interesting. I mean. I think it's it's absolutely an invitation to stop and explore. I think mm-hmm. what what happens is oftentimes the fear takes people out from mm-hmm. ever truly mm-hmm. discerning. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. eh. but I, I think you know it, it's it's not something to just toss in your grocery cart. Like, yeah. hey, going to Safeway, going to pick it. You know, yeah. yeah. It's it's like it's a it's a it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think talking with people who are who are doing it and who have experienced it is like the best. Yeah, that's that's really good. And going back to um, your book, A Love Stretched Life, and this question is like maybe another hard question to answer. It's it's almost like asking like, pick your favorite part of your life uh, <laughs> kind of question. You've exposed your life. Now what was your favorite part? But I guess I'm going to ask it this way. What were, maybe there is one chapter, a few chapters that you feel like it was easier 
to write. What were those and why do you feel like they were maybe easier to write than you were? Um, that's a good question. By easier, do you mean more excited? Like could just more Ooh, naturally? Can be. Okay. Yeah, it came more naturally to you. Okay. Yeah. You know, I feel like the chapters about uh, my son, which I mm. got his permission to, you know, mm-hmm. use his name and share his specific disability, which is fetal alcohol syndrome. It felt important to me, Ashley, that it, with whatever platform, um, with wherever this book goes, that that it be used as an educational tool yeah. to hopefully see. I mean, this is an invisible brain-based disability, so I yeah. can't fault anybody for not like really knowing about it. It's invisible, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, so we can't open up people's heads and peer inside their brains yeah. and be like, oh. And because we normally engage with people the way they engage with us, it's a very confusing disability mm. because the signs of, of of not being neurotypical are, are just harder to navigate. They're a little mm-hmm. trickier. But for me, that was one of the things that I feel really excited that the publisher allowed me to kind of share a little bit about this and the hope that, and the hope that, you know, people with my son's disability, that there will be more education around, around it, how, how, how it comes, you know, it's preventable. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's, it's different. It's, it's a, it's a preventable disability. Mm. Um, And I say that without trying to have any sort of stigma or pointing fingers at, you know, at, um, the moms who I can only imagine, you know, the trauma in their life or not knowing they were pregnant or, yeah. you know, so I'm just saying yeah. when I say it's a hundred percent preventable, it, it that's true. But I also want to be clear that I'm not like, um, you know, shaming anyone right. with that. Right. Um, but that felt that, so that felt to me like exciting to be able to, to um, share about that mm-hmm. also felt like it was one of the most vulnerable things to share about, to be yeah. honest. I think, um, because a lot of those chapters are me not getting it together. A lot of that chapter is me really wrestling with grief. A lot of that chapter is me exploring that this is not a seasonal thing. Things with seasons where we can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, that light will change. Mm. But what does it mean to be raising a child that is going to require a very significant level of interdependence? Mm. And I think in some ways it's an invitation to consider like, you know, the, I wish the church, uh, I wish this was a big distinction between kind of the, the community at large and the church, but unfortunately it's, it's very much intertwined and that's the notion of self-sufficiency. Mm. You're mm-hmm. respectable if you're self-sufficient, you first mm. need to get it together and kind of be yeah. able to help yourself. Yeah. And then, um, and so, yeah. you know, I think, I think the notion of, of being interdependent mm. kind of tips out on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. What does it mean if, you know, my highest value is being productive? What does that mean about other, like, you know, all, all of the things. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a, it was, I felt excited to write chapter seven and eight. Wow. Yeah. Entitled steadfast mm-hmm. and expectations because a lot of what I'm wrestling with through my writing is, you know, feeling like I was kind of easy breezy about what family life would look yeah. like until all of a sudden I was like, well, wait, I thought I didn't have any preconceived notions, but I actually did. They were just yeah. unspoken. They were, they were unknown even to myself yeah. until I got there and was like, well, this looks different. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think for me, that was really sweet. I think, you know, writing about a 13 year relationship with, um, 
my son, Micah's beautiful first mom, Jennifer, Mm -hmm. that has been a game changer. I mean, we really are like a blended Mm -hmm. family, Ashley, Mm -hmm. and families come in all shapes and sizes, but most blended families are not like inclusive of your adopted child's biological mother and half siblings and full siblings. It's rare. You know, that's pretty rare. And when I say that, I want to be clear, we're not co-parenting together, but she's included as a cherished part of our family. And then of course, you know, with Royal and with Jennifer, um, Royal, our very first foster son that, you know, we've reconnected with. Mm. I loved, I love being able to start the book in chapter two with him as a little boy. And then kind of, he's, he's gone from the book from chapter two to chapter 16, you know, like he's gone because he was gone for for that long. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel, I've, I felt excited to, I mean, there's a lot of narratives, like you said, I'm mm-hmm. sharing about friendship and being a neighbor and about foster care and different things. But those are the three narrative threads of Charlie, yeah. of Jennifer, of Royal. And they're all constantly unfolding. There's not one of those stories where it's like, and boop, boop, that was that, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and there's nothing more that's going to happen. It's like, no, these are relationships that I'm in almost daily yeah. with these people that are these people. Yeah. <laughs> Your family. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? We're all, we've all been there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just, I feel like it's an ever unfolding journey and I mean, that's just real, but it, it felt like a gift to be able to explore that. It felt like yeah. therapeutic for me. And I, I just, I really, you know, a love stretch life took me a while to come up with that title. But what really took me a long time to come up with is a subtitle and it's rather long, but yes. it's stories on wrangling yes. hopes, embracing the unexpected and discovering the meaning of family. And I love the the notion of like wrangling hope and embracing the unexpected because I feel like that, that sums up so much yeah. of what I've been invited to. Yeah. That, that's so good. And, and it's so beautiful. Um, I, I could think of no better way to end than, that of just that that concept of um wrangling hope uh and and allowing our stories to unfold you mentioned that as you were talking about just uh the the parts of the book that not many stories are just wrapped up neat with a bow but things are constantly unfolding and so is life i mean that is how that's how life is. Yeah. And I, we're not I really, stagnant. And thank goodness. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness. We're not. Otherwise we'd be stuck in. Yeah. I mean, we don't even need to get into that, but I mean, that, that is awful. And and that's so much of what I like about the book is you share vulnerably and honestly, but there is this um, unfolding of, and you can, you can tell in the words that there's always, there's something more and there's hope even in, the messy parts of the book that that you talk about of of your life. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, And for those of you listening, the book comes out in two weeks. Is it June 7th? June 7th. June 7th, it comes out. Um, Go pick it up and read that. And it it is truly a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Jelana, as we look to close, are there any parting words you would give a lot of times we close our podcast with just a way for people to learn and engage on a topic more if you're if they want to learn about fostering or uh, maybe there's some books you can recommend we definitely want you to read um jelana's book i love stretch life before you read any other books she's not saying that (laughs) i'm telling you 
that's what I want you to do. Um, but we we want people to continue to grow as they listen and have conversations with other people about love, about fostering, about what this means. So is there any parting words you would like to say? It can be anything to the folks. Well, I'll first start with the practical. I think um, for those in Oregon that mm-hmm. are really interested in like exploring the ways that you could potentially get involved, not signing up for foster care necessarily, mm-hmm. but just the plethora of volunteer opportunities, please go and check out everychildorgan.org. Yes. Yeah. Or if you're in the Portland metro area of Washington, Clackamas and Multnomah counties, please check out everychildpdx.org. Mm-hmm. And you know the team would love to be in touch with you. Um, on my personal website, which is jelana-gobel.com, I do have a list of resources. Ashley, you asked about other books. And I yeah. do have a list of like recommended reading that that I personally have found very helpful. Fantastic. Um, the book that came out in 2019 is called No Sugar Coating. And so I think if somebody was really interested in the fostering aspect, mm-hmm. that would be a great short little place to start. But, mm. you know, pre, the, A Love Stretch Life, though it comes out June 7th, it is available for pre-order, right? now um, on every kind of place where books are sold. Um, In terms of kind of parting words, I would say that I, as I've said before, this is just reiterating that um, I have learned and I'm still learning. It's not like a period. I've learned it (laughs) (laughs) to just celebrate the little things and Mm. to, to embrace being changed in proximity to people different than yourself. Yeah, that is wonderful to remember, especially now in these days, um, to celebrate the little things um, and to learn from people who are in close proximity to us. That's invaluable to me. So thank you, Jelana, for joining me today, um, for sharing your heart and your book and your wisdom with us, even though sometimes maybe you didn't think you were sharing your wisdom, but you shared a lot of good stuff with us today it's beautiful um chatting with you we'll have to have you back on at some other point i love talking with you to talk more it's been so fun um and thank you all for listening um so appreciate you continuing to tune in to our podcast hey please don't forget we've said this before but to pick up jelana's book now it's available for pre-order and it comes out officially on june 7th don't forget to listen to um our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast or check out the joy of it website at www.joyofit.org or to check out our frenzy materials at www.frenzy.co thank you friends and we will catch you on the next episode Thank you so much, Connie, for joining us for our podcast. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can find the Talk Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, we'll be there. And check out our websites, www.joyofit.org and www.frenzy.co if you want more information on what we are doing. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us for another episode of The Talk. <laughs>